What's poppin' Genius Life crew, we're back. I just can't wait to share this news with you all. It starts with an M and it ends with an urch. That's right, merch. Let me set the scene. You wake up after an epic night of sleep, but it's chilly, so you run over to your closet, slip on your coziest socks that happen to have my face on them, and then you grab your bright and sunny Genius Life tie-dye sweatshirt that brings light to the gloom of winter. Suddenly, you're ready to start your day. Well, folks, that's the magic of the newly released Genius Life merch. We, as the Genius Life crew, now have the opportunity to rep TGL beyond the podcast app. Head over to thegeniuslife.com to check out all the ways to represent the Genius Life family. I'm so incredibly excited about this little merch line, but I'm even more excited to see y'all wearing the goods. Again, that is thegeniuslife.com. Go check it out. And now, welcome to episode 136 of The Genius Life. It's perfectly splendid. What's cooking, family? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. I'm so thrilled to share today's episode with y'all. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Rudolph Tanzi. Dr. Tanzi is a Harvard neuroscientist, director of the Genetics and Aging Research Unit at MassGen in Boston, and a pioneer in identifying genetic markers for Huntington's and Alzheimer's disease. Dr. Tanzi was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People people in the world, and is also the co-author of several books, including Decoding Darkness and the three international bestsellers, Superbrain, Super Genes, and The Healing Self. If all that wasn't cool enough, he has the added cool factor that he, in his spare time, plays keyboards with Joe Perry and Aerosmith. Is there anything that Dr. Tansy can't do? In this episode, we waste no time. We jump right into learning about how Alzheimer's disease can teach us about making healthy brains even healthier. Dr. Tansy shares how he and his colleagues are studying ways to combat Alzheimer's faster and more effectively than ever before by growing it in a lab without relying on mouse models, a process they call called Alzheimer's in a Dish. We also chat about where the evolutionary purpose of the conditions that cause Alzheimer's, once meant to protect us, went astray. Dr. Tanzi concludes with what he predicts for the future of anti-Alzheimer's drugs and maybe even the end of Alzheimer's disease in our lifetime. I found this episode in my time with Dr. Tanzi to be perfectly splendid and I can't wait for you to experience it with me. This episode of The Genius Life is sponsored by the Epic team over at True Niagen. True Niagen is a unique form of vitamin B3 that increases the cell's ability to make energy with NAD+. Some say that NAD+, is vital for cellular health. Unfortunately, studies have shown that NAD+, levels decline as we age. But fear not, this is where True Niagen steps in. True Niagen is clinically proven to increase NAD+, levels, and it supports repair at the cellular level to help counteract the effects of stress and time. True Niagen contains no animal byproducts, artificial flavors, or colors. Visit trueniagen.com. That's www.tru, no E, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com to learn so much more. While you're there, you can use code MAX to check out and get 20 bucks off. That code expires November 30th, 2020, so get on it. It's valid only in the U.S. and not on wholesale orders. Again, that's trueniagen.com, code MAX, at checkout for 20 bucks off. Also, stay tuned. In a few weeks, we're going to have uh, a bona fide NAD Plus guru on the show to answer all of my and your burning questions. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Paleo Valley. I 
recently took a trip up to San Jose to see my friends at Mind Pump. Aside from bringing the heat when I beat them in a push-up contest, I also brought my Paleo Valley meat sticks. All right, so I'm kidding about the push-up contest, but 100% serious about bringing the Paleo Valley meat sticks. When you're traveling, especially now, there's a lot to remember. Where's my mask? Where's my hand sanitizer? Am I sitting too close to someone? All good things to be cautious of, but it also takes a lot of energy, which is where Paleo Valley comes in. Traveling can be stressful, but your travel snack doesn't have to be. I always bring one or six Paleo Valley meat sticks with me, and suddenly everything is perfectly splendid. Paleo Valley makes some of the best meat sticks around. When I'm craving a high-protein, quick and tasty snack, I always tend to reach for a Paleo Valley meat stick. Their 100% grass-fed beef sticks are the only beef sticks in the USA made from 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef and organic spices that are naturally fermented and oh-so-tasty. I highly suggest heading over to paleovalley.com max and you'll get 15% off. That's paleovalley.com max and save 15% off my favorite meat sticks and go-to snack. Oh, and still team teriyaki. Let me know what flavor you're vibing with. Alrighty guys, we're about to jump into all things brain health with Dr. Tansy, but before we do, I want to share this wonderful review from Sarah Supo that gave me so many warm and fuzzy feelings. Sarah Supo states, Max, I love this podcast. It is super informative and heartfelt. I'm an avid listener and get so excited when a new show comes out. Thanks for all the love you put into your work. Well, Sarah Supo, thank you. It's because of you that I get to do what I love. I'm so grateful. Like any good relationship, we are in a relationship in case you didn't know, feedback is so important. If there's anything that I could be doing better or something y'all want to see more of, let me know. We're all a part of this Genius Life family together. I hope to connect with you on all platforms, so feel free to join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. In doing so, you'll receive a free PDF supplement guide that contains all the information that you need about supplements that can potentially boost your brain function. As 2021 approaches, heck yes, we've conquered 2020, but you might be thinking of some health goals for which I'm happy to help. Some of those goals might include supplements, which can be super overwhelming. So I've hopefully made it a bit more approachable for you in that PDF guide, which again, you can get at maxlugavir.com. You can opt out at any time, although I'd be sad to see you go. I protect all of your information just like I do your health. Lastly, we can't forget about the text message community. Join that community by texting the word genius to 310 310- 299-9401. I've had so much fun with this text community. So shoot me a text and we can chat. I love connecting with you via text and I try to get to a few questions every day. So send me all your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns. Let's connect. And with all that out of the way, let's move into episode 136 with Dr. Tansy. It's perfectly splendid and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Dr. Tansy, thank you so much for being with me on my show, The Genius Life. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to see you, Max. Same. I always love getting to catch up with you, whether it's backstage at the Dr. Oz show or at scientific conferences up in Boston. Um, I've, uh, you know, I'm excited to introduce my audience to you because you're one of the premier researchers in the field of Alzheimer's disease. And uh, I just know that you're going to have a wealth of information to share with my peeps. So, um, yeah, I guess to start, why don't we, why don't you share a little bit about your background, the kinds of things that you study in your lab? Well, I've been studying um, Alzheimer's disease most of my career um, at Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. I, I serve as a vice chair of neurology at Mass General and professor of neurology at Harvard. But I mainly run um, a lab and a unit of multiple labs all studying Alzheimer's disease and a center, the McCann Center for Brain Health, and an institute, the Mass General Institute for Neurodegenerative Disease. So I split my work between studying the disease brain and how to fix it or prevent it, mainly Alzheimer's. And then the other half is studying how to keep your brain healthy, even if you're young and just want your brain to be working optimally and functioning at, at top speed. And so we kind of split it up that way. And you can learn from Alzheimer's what goes wrong 
to figure out how to make a healthy brain healthier is, I guess, the way I would put it. That's super interesting. At what point in your career did the notion of uh, prevention start to emerge? Uh, when did when did it become clear uh, that this is something that we need to start talking about way younger than um, than we are typically talking about these this kind of condition? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, so I started in, in the field by discovering the first Alzheimer's gene. And it makes this makes the plaque, the amyloid plaque in the brain. And I named it amyloid precursor protein because protein is the precursor of the plaque. And, um, and then we discovered more genes for Alzheimer's and they all got us back to this sticky material that accumulates in the brain as we age, beta amyloid. And that deposits in these plaques that are outside the nerve cells. And then we figured out that the plaques cause the second pathology, the tangles, which are, which are inside. So the plaques are outside. That causes tangles to reform inside. That took like decades to show because we couldn't do it in mouse models. And we thought about plaques and tangles in a silly way. And we had to invent these brain organoids, many human brain organoids, to finally show, yes, amyloid causes the tangles. The tangles choke the nerve cell from inside and kill it. So that was the bottom line. Well, the way I got to prevention was by necessity, because we learned that if we treated patients with, with full-blown Alzheimer's disease in a way that reduces the amyloid plaque or even the tangles, they don't get better. Hmm. We realized that amyloid is to Alzheimer's, the brain amyloid is to Alzheimer's as cholesterol is to heart disease. Right? If you have a heart attack and congestive heart failure and need a bypass, the cardiologist wouldn't say, here, just take this pill to bring your cholesterol down. The cholesterol got that going, but you had to hit the cholesterol decades before. And now we learned the same thing about the amyloid. The amyloid is coming decades before the symptoms and is triggering the tangles. And then these tangles spread. So I like to say that amyloid is like a match and the tangles are like brush fires that spread. Mm-hmm. And that's how the disease spreads through the brain, but that takes decades. So you have to stop that process through secondary prevention early on. You have to know the amyloid is starting just like you do a cholesterol test for heart disease, and then you stop it way back. So that becomes prevention. And then, but we haven't abandoned treatment, but treatment is a whole different thing. Treat, treating Alzheimer's in a patient who has it now, it's too late to hit the plaques and tangles. Maybe you can hit them if it's really early in the disease and there are some who are trying that. But you have to hit the third pathology in patients who are suffering now, and that's neuroinflammation. And that's where the companies I've started or helped start are making the biggest progress right now. I mean, this is a 2020 may suck overall because of COVID, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be an amazing year for Alzheimer's disease. That's incredible. So I guess, you know, the the question has then become what is causing these plaques to aggregate around the neurons, correct? Yeah. And now you're getting into primary prevention, right? Secondary prevention is the plaques are forming. How do we bring them down? That's like asking in heart disease analogy, okay, we can, do it. We, we can bring your cholesterol down, but what made the cholesterol go up? Well, it could have been genetics in the first place. Same thing with the amyloid brain. But it can also be something that triggers the amyloid to form. And that's where we have a whole new hypothesis. In fact, you and I did a Dr. Oz show together where I, I, had, I think I had Play-Doh and I was putting it in the brain. Remember that? Yeah. It was a plaque. And the idea was to show that the plaque is forming around a microbe. 
that the microbe, like a bacterium, bacteria or virus, a fungus, triggers the plaque to form and the plaque traps it because the amyloid is meant to protect the brain against microbes. It's antimicrobial. So we always thought the plaques were just junk, but it turns out that the plaques rapidly form when even when one single bacterium or one virus gets in, it can trigger a whole plaque to trap it and protect the brain because the brain doesn't have an immune system otherwise. It has a very primitive what's called innate immune system. It doesn't have antibodies and T cells and B cells and all the things we use to fight infection in the rest of the body. So as soon as something happens there that's not sterile, like a bacterium or virus sneaks in, the plaques form right away to trapping. So now we're looking at which bacteria and viruses might be triggering the plaques early on. And if we learn that, we can stop those what's called primary prevention, like a vaccine against that microbe, against the virus or bacteria. Secondary prevention to stop the plaques from growing once they start. Hmm. And then treatment is stopping the neuroinflammation that's triggered by all this. That's really what's causing the disease. It's kind of like COVID, right? The virus, the COVID virus doesn't really kill you. It's the inflammation in the body caused by the virus. So the virus has to trigger what's called a cytokine storm. These cytokines are these, the chemical mediators of inflammation in the body. Same thing in the brain. The plaques and tangles kill just enough nerve cells to trigger a cytokine storm there, which is called neuroinflammation. So that's so you have to stop that to help the patient who's suffering now. But the future will be early detection of the plaques and tangles and stopping those even before you get there, maybe when you're 40 or 50 years old. So it's two different directions. Prevention with early detection, plaques and tangles treatment if you're already suffering by putting out that fire the neuroinflammation again the plaque is the match the tangles the brush fire it's killing just enough nerve cells to start the forest fire the forest fire kills 10 to 100 times more nerve cells than the brush fires did but what struck the match the plaque the plaque is the match what struck it maybe a microbe that the plaque was trying to stop that's that's the analogy we can use Fascinating. I just love talking to an expert such as yourself who's been steeped in this topic for so many years. Um, it's just, it's not often you get to talk to, you know, a bona fide, somebody who's like literally, literally seen Alzheimer's disease grow in a Petri dish. You know? Yeah, yeah. In one it's, month, we can fully recapitulate plaques to tangles to inflammation in a Petri dish. And that, that was a big breakthrough in the lab, you know, it started six years ago. And now, I remember the New York Times article, they called it Alzheimer's in a dish. <laughs> and, and it promised that drug discovery was going to be 10 times faster and 10 times cheaper. And I'm like, oh, no, pressure's on. But it turns out it's true. I mean, actually, it's 10 times faster and 100 times cheaper to, to screen every approved drug. And that's what we're doing. I work with the Cure Alzheimer's Fund, which is by far and away the top Alzheimer's foundation for research. I mean, there's other places that's good for patient care and respite and learning about the disease and lobbying the government, like Alzheimer's Association is very good for that. But for pure research, highest impact research, nobody touches Cure Alzheimer's Fund. So it's curealz.org if people want to know. And they funded this whole Alzheimer's in a dish thing. And they funded the Alzheimer's Genome Project, which I also run, because now we have like 30 different genes. In the beginning, we had four Alzheimer's genes in the 80s and 90s. Now we have like 30 different genes for Alzheimer's. And we can put those into Alzheimer's in a dish to study each form of the genetic version of Alzheimer's and how to stop that or prevent that. So these are 
amazingly exciting days for the disease. And the Alzheimer's in addition just turned it around because I screened, we screened every approved drug in the world, every natural product we could find, all in record time because you're just doing it in a mini brain like the size of a paper punch. <laughs> you can just do like 100, 100 at a time. If you ever did that in mice, forget it. You'd have to like spend a year on each mouse. It would cost a ridiculous amount of money. And the mice aren't even good models for the disease. I mean, the little mini brains are much better. So this has been a great five years for Alzheimer's. And now some of these companies that I'm involved with have had successful uh, trials with some of our drugs and other neurodegenerative diseases like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. We're trying those drugs in Alzheimer's. And so there's tons of exciting stuff to talk about now. And the end of the year is going to tell us a real lot. This could, 2020 could be a banner year for Alzheimer's. Now, are the, the, the cells that you use in the Petri dish, are they like human neural stem cells or, or what are they? Yeah, we take human stem cells and then we can turn those into each different type of cell in the brain. Wow. So we can make a neuron out of one, make a, a microglia out of the other, an oligodendrocyte, an astrocyte. Then you mix them. And once you mix them all together in a gel-like matrix that like mimics the jello, your brain's like jello in your skull. <laughs> and once you just put them together in the gel, they know what to do. And they all start take, doing their little jobs. And the neuron stuff making synapses and connections and firing and the microglial cells start cleaning up all the crap that the neurons put out. And then if the neurons start dying, the little microglial cells, instead of being like little scrubby bubbles that are just cleaning up, which normally happens when you sleep, they turn into little killers and they're like, oh, neurons are dying. So they're programmed to say, if neurons die, wipe out this part of the brain, it's infected. Hmm. And they still, like, that's how it was 25,000 years ago, right? Picture some human where lifespan is 25 years old. He's 18. He's like at the end of his, you know, toward the middle of the years of his life. He's 18. He's running around the jungle and now all of a sudden neurons are dying in his brain. Well, he doesn't have Alzheimer's. He's only 18. What happened was he got a bad mosquito bite. He got some type of infection that was rampant that would cause encephalitis um, or meningitis in the brain. So the amyloid plaques evolved to protect against that. The microglial cells that stop cleaning and instead kill as part of neuroinflammation evolve to protect against that. Well, fast forward to now, none of those cells got the memo that now cells die because you're getting Alzheimer's disease because of plaques and tangles due to genetics, and it has nothing to do with an infection. I mean, in some cases, it might involve an infection if, it's, if that's triggering the amyloid. So in other words... Um, we're getting neuroinflammation now in our brain for the same reason we got it 25,000 years ago because these little microglial cells, they're always cleaning debris, right? Picture them eating debris. And all of a sudden, they eat a neuron. They eat some piece of a neuron that died. They're like, whoa, what the heck was that? <laughs> they, you know, and they're like, wait a minute. Because as they're cleaning up with these little nanny housekeepers while you sleep, they taste a neuron that died. And they're like, huh, that wasn't right. Then they taste another one. They taste another one. And they say, must be an infection. Some virus is killing neurons. This part of the brain's compromised. We don't want that infection to spread. Wipe it out. That's neuroinflammation. But in Alzheimer's, it was the plaques causing the tangles for whatever reason. And the tangles, all, these are all proteins that are forming and choking the nerve cell. And the nerve cells die for that reason. But it still triggers the same neuroinflammation. And that neuroinflammation kills 10 times, maybe 100 times more nerve cells 
than the cells that died to get you there. You see, just like same thing with COVID. When COVID, the virus comes in, it's only killing a few cells here and there, but that triggers the, the, the immune system of the body, what's called the innate immune system, to undergo inflammation and, and shoot our cytokines. And then that causes all the lung and, and, and blood vessel damage that can lead to serious problems. But in this case, it's taking place in the brain and it's the age-related brain pathology, plaques and tangles that get you there. That's why the, the way forward is stop the plaques and tangles early, early detection. Stop. We have blood tests coming up that will do that. We have imaging of the brain that can do that. But for people who are already suffering from dementia, you got to put out the forest fire. It's too late to blow up the match or stamp out the brush fires to cut you there, the plaques and the tangles. you got to put out the forest fire, which is inflammation. And that's what I've focused on for the last 12 years. And I, that's because uh, in 2008, you discovered the first Alzheimer's gene that was a neuroinflammation gene, even though we didn't, had no idea what it was when we found it. Because, you know, you do, you do genetics and you, you find these genes and you're like, what the heck is that? Because hmm. you're doing it just by detecting the segregation of DNA in families and you land on some part of the genome and like, okay, there's a part of the genome that caused Alzheimer's in this family. And you say, and the gene is CD33. And we're like, what the heck is that? And uh, I remember when we, when we first found that gene, it was the first neuroinflammation, Alzheimer's gene. And, and Time Magazine called it a top 10 medical breakthrough that year in 08. And we started laughing because so like, if they only knew, we have no idea what the heck this gene is. <laughs> and then we figured out over the next five years, it was the on-off switch. It told these, micro, these little microglial cells in the brain, stop being nannies and housekeeping and cleaning debris. We've got a problem here, right? And instead become a killer and wipe out the area and cause neuroinflammation. So by finding the on switch, now we could put that in our Alzheimer's in a dish, little mini brain model, and find drugs to stop that. And that's what we've done. It's amazing. Most people, when they think of Alzheimer's risk genes, I mean, the APOE4 allele seems to be the most well-known, maybe the most well-defined of them. But you're, so you're saying that there's all these other genes that are out there that we need to be talking about. Is the science underpinning our, our understanding of these genes as robust as it is for the APOE4 allele? Like, should we all be taking tests to see, you know, what, what genes we carry? Um, or is APOE4 still sort of the one that, uh, that's the most well sort of established. Yeah, e E4 is the most prevalent. It's the most prevalent, APOE4 okay. APOE4 is in, you know, remember, APOE4 is in 15 to 20% of the population, hmm. naturally. Right? One in, one in five people carry it. But if you carry one E4 from one parent, you have a threefold increased risk for Alzheimer's. If you carry two E4s, one from mom and dad, you have a 12-fold increased risk. But it doesn't guarantee the disease. And that's in contrast to the genes we found in the 80s and, and 90s um, along the same, around the same time. When we first found in my lab and other labs, the early onset familial Alzheimer's disease genes, so that's amyloid precursor protein APP, presenolin 1, presenolin 2. If you saw the movie Still Alice, um, you know, I, Lisa Genova was my classmate, and we actually gave Alice a presenolin 1 mutation. We found that gene in 95. And a good trivia question, trivia note, Alice and still Alice had the same presenolin 1 mutation that Alzheimer's first patient that he described in 1906, mm. August Dieter, because she had the same mutation. So it went from August to Alice. Wow. But anyway, so you got these mutations in those three genes that guarantee 
those mutations guarantee early onset Alzheimer's disease, usually by 50 or 60 years old. There are 300 different mutations. But luckily, that's only 1% or 2% of Alzheimer's disease. And luckily, I, I have a drug I can tell you about later. I've been developing for 20 years with my colleague in San Diego that will reverse what those mutations do. So for the first time, if this works, we'll have a drug that will reverse the death sentence of that 1% or 2% of mutations that guarantee Alzheimer's disease. And if you remind me, I can tell you about that drug. We're just going into clinical trials, starting with safety next year. It took 20 years to get there. I'll just say about it now. So, you know, here I am in my office once in a while. I get these early onset families come in. You get some woman with you who's 30 years old with two kids, two little kids. And you say, man, by the time you're 45, you're almost guaranteed you're going to have Alzheimer's. Oof. You know how terrible that is to tell a 30-year-old woman that with two kids? When a kid's in high school, she's going to have Alzheimer's for sure. And for the first time, we now have a drug. It's called a gamma secretase modulator. My colleague Steve Wagner and I invented it, all funded by Cure Alzheimer's Fund and NIH. No company involved. And we're, we've gotten so far now that our, our drug, a whole new class of compound, um, is going to go into, should be going into safety trials early next year. And that will just basically, with those mutations that guarantee Alzheimer's do in early onset, it reverses them. Wow. And that's what we're, so we're very excited about that. Now, APOE4, so, those, so the early onset genes guarantee the disease. APOE4 increases risk. Like I said, we have 30 other genes. Why aren't we using those for testing? Those 30 genes, we don't know the exact mutations yet. See, we did genetics where we know this is the right gene or maybe the gene next door because there's genetic markers for it. But we don't know exactly the mutation involved, so you can't get FDA-approved genetic testing for that yet. You can get recreational testing, like you can go to companies like 23andMe, and they can give you non-medical, non-clinically certified information using the genetic markers and you know, just tell you, oh, you might be an increased risk for this or a decreased risk for that. But you can't really do clinically licensed genetic um, testing uh, with these genes until you know the exact mutations. And that's what we're trying to do now as part of the Alzheimer's Genome Project. But more exciting than that, where we're really headed is instead of going gene by gene, we're doing the whole genome at once. So we do whole genome sequencing. And then based on, like if, you did, if I tested your, your genome, you would have in your genome alone millions, many, many millions, like probably 40, 50 million variations that I don't have among your 3 billion bases of DNA. So you have 40 or 50 million variants. And just one of those is necessary to maybe predispose you to Alzheimer's, right? So what we're doing is looking at the entire genome of variants in each person at a time, and then we, we're, we're going to generate what's called a polygenic risk score. So it's your risk based on your entire genome. And that's, that's what we're really going for. We want to find the individual genes because that tells us how to treat, treat and prevent the disease. So that's, that's why it is the way it is, that you have all these genes. But right now, we just test for APOE4 and the early onset genes. And the really good news out of all of this, Max, is that 98% of genetic variations in your genome that predispose to Alzheimer's disease, 98% of them do not guarantee it. Mm. So lifestyle matters. Only that 1% or 2%, for which we hopefully we'll have a drug now to fix that, guarantee the disease. And 98 to 100% to 
98 to 99% of cases, you have genetic susceptibility, including E4, but your lifestyle matters. And that's why you write your books. And I write my books to tell people, here's what you can do right now to help reduce your risk. A thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it sounds I've always sort of likened um, early onset familial Alzheimer's disease to uh, familial hypercholesterolemia, you know, like they are conditions involving, uh, the, you know, these proteins or these lipids that we all have. But the plumbing goes awry in a small percentage of the population where the rules are just different. The rules are different. Is that Perfect. is that Perfect. an accurate? It's, it's the most perfect analogy you can use because if you look at Brown and Goldstein, who got the Nobel Prize for studying families with that disorder of too much cholesterol, they found and they had no idea why these families were getting, you know, heart disease, right? And they saw that they had mutations that increased their cholesterol. And they said, we think that high cholesterol might have something to do with heart disease. And nobody believed them. It took, it took a long time for them to convince people based on very rare families with genetic mutations that guaranteed heart disease. And they could see the only thing these mutations really led to was more cholesterol. So that made them, they said, that made the link. They said, maybe cholesterol causes heart disease. And then others said, no, wait, it's just, you only got like five, 10 of these families in the whole world. That, it's just in them that's cholesterol. It doesn't mean everybody's going to get heart disease from cholesterol. Well, guess what? They were right. Same thing with us. We, we discovered these families in the 80s and 90s, very rare, that had high amyloid, beta amyloid in the brain. And we said beta amyloid causes the disease. And the reason why people fight that, and still to this day, I have to you know, endure, you know, listen to these debates of people saying amyloid is a byproduct, doesn't cause the disease. I'm like, no, silly. The genetics guarantees it, okay? These are, we have 300 different mutations and three genes, and you have A4, and they all do the same thing. They lead to more beta amyloid. And they say, well, wait a minute. When you treat the beta amyloid, the patients didn't get better. I'm like, yeah, well, if you take a coronary artery disease patient with congestive heart failure who needs a bypass and treat them with Lipitor, is he going to get better? No. That doesn't mean cholesterol is not involved. It meant you had to use the cholesterol drug 10, 20 years ago. Same thing here, perfect analogy. Rare early onset genetics implicated cholesterol, but you have to take cholesterol 20 years before heart disease. Rare genetics implicated beta amyloid, but you have to hit it decades before symptoms. So how do you fix heart disease now? Well, there's a bypass. You might have to stop inflammation around the heart. Same thing with Alzheimer's. If you already have the disease, you have to stop that neuroinflammatory process in the brain or protect against neuroinflammation. And that's what we do in two ways. We develop drugs that protect against neuroinflammation. One of them just worked in ALS. The other one is uh, reading out in a phase three Alzheimer's trial later this year, two different companies. The company Amelix uh, that I helped found six years ago with a couple of kids who were still undergrads at Brown, if you can believe it. Hmm. They were junior and senior at Brown University. They were in Sigma Chi fraternity. They found my name. Because in 2013, I was, went into the Sigma Chi Hall of Fame, <laughs> and, and, they, and they, they were doing an undergraduate pro project. And then one of them also graduated from the, uh, the, the school my daughter goes to in here in Milton, Massachusetts. So I took the meeting, and, you know, they, and it was, they had this pretty naive idea at the time about how to protect the nerve cells from neuroinflammation. And I wanted to show them how hard science really is. So we designed 
the, the hardest possible experiment that was guaranteed to fail, right? Which was if you think these two drugs are going to protect nerve cells from dying with neuroinflammation, we're going to imitate neuroinflammation in the Alzheimer's you know, dish models times a thousand by pouring bleach on the neurons. Because see, neuroinflammation kills with what's called oxidative stress. Well, if you want to cause ultimate oxidative stress on a nerve cell, you, you put hydrogen peroxide on it. <laughs> so the experiment was meant to kill all the cells. I don't and think that people, people realize this, that, that immune cells actually secrete hydrogen peroxide. And that's yes. why it's a perfect, that's why it's a perfect uh, agent to mimic what goes on in the, in the, you know, in a brain with oxidative stress. Yeah. The, and during neuroinflammation, the hyped up activated glial cells are, are both eating the axons and synapses and destroying the neurons. They're also shooting out free radicals, right? Hydroxyl radicals to kill them. And that's the combination of hydrogen peroxide and a metal like iron and copper that generates the free radicals. So what we do is you add hydrogen peroxide to the nerve cells and they're all going to die. Well, the two drugs that they came up with in their dorm room based on Google searches that had been used in some other studies before that they said, you got to use the combination of them. Each one is like half of a bulletproof vest. You need the two of them for a full bulletproof vest around the nerve cell to protect it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did the experiment. The two drugs together saved 90% of the nerve cells from hydrogen peroxide. I'm like, this is crazy. It's wrong. You got to do it again. They did it again. 95% survived. So I'm like, okay, I don't know how the heck you came up with this, guys. I don't even want to know what you're doing in your dorm room that night. But these two drugs worked. I, so we started the company, and the ALS trial was just published in the Renal Journal of Medicine. Because in all these diseases, there's neuroinflammation, ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson. And um, the, second the second trial was to, the result was published just uh, this past week, showing that there's a huge uh, percent increase in survival in the ALS patients. And the first, the first paper in the general medicine showed that it alleviated the symptoms. So now they're going to so these two kids now, they're 27 and 28, and they're going for approval for ALS with the drug. And now we're trying it in Alzheimer's as well, because if you have a drug, here's the thing, if you have a drug that protects against neuroinflammation or stops it, you can use it in ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Huntington's, all across the board, because it's all the same. There's different routes to get there. But at the end of the day, it's neuroinflammation that kills most of the nerve cells to cause the symptoms. That's absolutely incredible. All right, team, we're going to take a quick break. And while we do, I'm going to have a quick sip out of my cup that is filled with one of our newest sponsors, Element. It's spelled L-M-N-T, but pronounced Element. How's that for a smooth transition? A little bumpy, but I give it a 6 out of 10. Element comes in tiny little powder packets, but it has epic benefits, especially if you sweat a lot. It contains the electrolytes that you need in the perfect ratio. 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Essentially, Element is the best tasting and better for you sports drink. No sugar, gluten, artificial ingredients, or plastic bottles. Just the stuff that you need for proper hydration. Proper hydration requires water and electrolytes, especially for active folks who sweat a ton. Often, electrolytes are forgotten. One of my favorite ways to use Element is after a good long session in the sauna. I've got my Element all prepped up and ready to go. A little sauna sesh, a little Element, that's self-care Monday for Max Lugavere. Head over to drinklmnt.com slash geniuslife to try it out for yourself. Element offers free shipping and no questions asked refunds, so anyone can try Element risk-free. However, I'm fairly confident that a refund won't be necessary. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash 
Genius Life. I'm so pumped for y'all to try it. Someone once asked me what my favorite thing at Belcampo was, and without hesitation, I said, the ribeye. You know when someone is talking and you feel like they're speaking in all caps? Well, that was me. I was speaking about the Belcampo ribeye in all caps. It's not that I was yelling. I was just passionate uh, in the moment about that Belcampo ribeye that I love so much. I'm so excited to have Belcampo back as a sponsor. They're on a mission to revolutionize the meat industry for the well-being of people, the planet, and animals by farming meat the right way with certified humane, regenerative, and climate-positive practices, which means that it's better for you, the planet, and the animals. Perfectly splendid. They've launched their online and in-store pre-orders for their delicious organic whole turkeys and other holiday meats with nationwide shipping so that you don't have to deal with the chaos of the grocery store. All you got to do to order online from Belcampo is go to Belcampo, that's B-E-L-C-A-M-P-O dot com slash max and use code max for 20% off site-wide, excluding discounted or on-sale items and valid through December 31st, 2020. That's Belcampo.com slash Max. And now back to my chat with Dr. Tanzi. You uh, you mentioned that neuroinflammation is one of the side effects of having this, this aggregation of amyloid um, and the subsequent tau accumulation, but can neuroinflammation also cause the uh, buildup? Have you, have you seen that, that neuroinflammation can cause the buildup of these plaques? Well, as it turns out, so when there's neuroinflammation and this oxidative stress due to the free radicals being made, that can cause more tangles. To some extent, you get more plaques from that, but mostly it's causing more tangles, so you get a vicious cycle. Hmm. So here's the plaque. The amyloid causes the tangle. The nerve cell dies. The dying nerve cell triggers the inflammation. The oxidative stress from the inflammation can cause more, more tangles or directly kill nerve cells, and then that feeds more neuroinflammation. So you get a vicious cycle. So yeah, you can definitely, definitely these three pathologies, plaques, tangles, neuroinflammation, they are definitely in a vicious cycle. Yeah, so, you know, you can try to protect the nerve cells from neuroinflammation. That's what this one company I'm involved with, Amelix, is doing. And because the ALS trial worked, uh, we're hoping the drug will get approved for ALS. We're hoping it will work in Alzheimer's as well. Because, you know, in all these diseases, it's the same thing. There's these different protein pathologies to get you there. Just like in the body, it could be COVID. But at the end of the day, it's inflammation inflammation takes you out. So the other way to do it is you can stop the neuroinflammation itself. And there's these little cells, the microglial cells I mentioned. And normally during deep sleep, they're scrubbing your brain and cleaning debris and then the brain forces it out, right? But these same little cells, when they think neurons are dying, nerve cells are dying, they just start destroying the area. Free radicals, eat, eat, like literally in the dish, we can see these little guys go crazy and they're eating nerve cells and synapses and axons for lunch. So rather than clearing the debris like the amyloid, they start eating the nerve cells and say, trouble here, wipe it out. So we screened for drugs that would convert these little killer microglial cells back into benign, helpful housekeepers. Hmm. And one of the drugs that worked was an old asthma drug called chromalin. And chromalin, you would take in an inhaler and use it for asthma. Um, it would hit the mast cells, and, but it doesn't get into the brain. So I worked with a company called AZ Therapies, and we reformulated chromalin to get into the brain. Hmm. And now we're doing an Alzheimer's trial, phase three. So that's what you need to do to phase three, big trial to get approval. And it's, we're going to get the, the results for that at uh, the end of this year. 
So it's a one and a half year trial, 600 patients. And meanwhile, we're using that in ALS and a new trial as well. So, you know, like I said, you can, if you have any drug that, that, that either protects against inf- neuroinflammation or stops it, you can try it across different neurodegenerative diseases, even Parkinson, Lewy body disease, frontal lobe dementia, you know, with the boxers and football players get chronic traumatic encephalopathy, all different routes to neuroinflammation. But neuroinflammation is the active killer in the patient who's suffering. So you got to put that fire out or protect against it. And that's what we've really been focusing on. That's so interesting. I'm just curious. So what was the rationale behind using this drug? Because it had previously worked with mast cells. Mast cells. No. Okay. It was a screen agnostic. I wish I was that smart. (laughs) Right. I mean, I wish I could say yes, because it worked on mast cells. We thought it would work on microglia in the brain. But no. <laughs> no, what we did was we just, we just, because you got the dish and made drug screening, uh, you know, much faster. We just kitchen sink it, kitchen sink a, a, a tray that big with a hundred holes, 96 holes in it. And in each paper punch size hole, there's a little mini brain organoid where, you know, there's plaques and tangles and neuroinflammation going on. And then you scream all the approved drugs known to man <laughs> and say, do any of them help? Wow. And we found like a dozen drugs that stopped. We never thought we never thought of before that this is all just, you know, see what works. We found 12 new drugs to stop the amyloid. We found like 50 drugs that stopped the amyloid from causing the tangles. And none of this could have been predicted. Sorry. And we found, um, about 24, two dozen drugs that stopped the microglial cells from being killers and made them go back to being housekeepers. Hmm. And one of those was this asthma drug, chromalin. And then, you know, so now we're actually looking, we're actually doing experiments in my lab about how mast cells might relate to the, to the cells in the brain because chromalin is usually stopping the mast cells in the lungs. So, yeah, but it's, it's just agnostic, you know, unbiased screening just like genetics, it's agnostic and unbiased. You see what falls out and you go, okay, now what do I do with that? <laughs> so it doesn't require any prior hypothesis or, 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 or thought, you know, it just, you just That's go. amazing. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the kitchen sink approach. I love that. Yeah. Um, so that leads me to, I guess, the, the logical follow-up, which would be what can we do in our diets and lifestyles to, uh, to mitigate neuroinflammation, you know, early on? Um, You've yeah. written, you've written a number of books about that. And we, we also, um, we were linked up via our friends who produce a nicotinamide riboside product, yeah. which boosts NAD in the brain. This is a topic that I really have yet to do a deep dive into, but would love to know your thoughts on, on, on that and what that's all about. Yeah. So, um, I think we also did a Dr. Oz together where I was using the acronym. I just come up with at the time shield shield. Yeah. I vaguely shield. remember. Yes. The shield, so these are the things you can do. I was trying to encapsulate when I wrote The Healing Self with uh, Deepak Chopra. And at the end of the book, we came up with all these things you can do every day to try to minimize inflammation in your body and brain. And then I tried to come up with an acronym that encapsulated them all. And I came up with SHIELD, which is sleep, seven to eight hours. So you get these little microglial scrubby bubbles to clean your, your brain. H is handle stress because stress causes cortisol and Chronic stress can cause inflammation, so meditation practice and the like. I is interact with others because loneliness is a risk factor for Alzheimer's. Not being alone, 
If you're alone and like it, that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, alone and you're stressed, that's bad. Mm. Um, e is exercise. Obviously, exercise does everything. It helps clear plaque from the brain. It stops inflammation. We showed in a paper in Science last year that it induces the birth of new nerve cells in the brain, in the part of the brain that's affected in Alzheimer's, the, the short-term memory area called hippocampus. It's called neurogenesis, the birth of new nerve cells. Um, so exercise is good for everything. So that's why I have them back me my recumbent bike. <laughs> I got my treadmill here, and then there's my keyboards for stress relief. So you know, it's all right here in my home office. You're people. I don't know how many people know this about you, but you're a professional keyboard player. You've written and recorded <laughs> songs. Uh, it's it's amazing. Oh yeah, I play with I I do keyboards for Aerosmith and. Uh, Joe Perry, the lead guitarist for Aerosmith. So I did the last Aerosmith album and I did Joe, all of the keyboards on the last album with Joe Perry and Johnny Depp and a bunch of guest musicians. But just studio stuff. I don't have time to gig. I'm too busy in the lab. <laughs> but very rarely do I play live just once in a while if it's something really cool. Like the Jay Let we did the Tonight Show. We did uh, uh, Muhammad Ali's 70th birthday party. You know, really cool gigs. But otherwise, just a studio rap, you know. That's so cool. But, but yeah, so um, so shield. So E was for exercise, and L is for learning new things. Because when you learn new things, you make more synapses and more connections between nerve cells in the brain. And the more synapses you make, the more you can lose before you lose it. That's the bottom line. So you you build up your synaptic reserve. Because hmm. as you learn, not not brain games, mind you, learning new things. Because when you learn new things. Um, you make new synapses and they connect with old ones because learning is always associating the new thing with the old one. You're building this neural network. And when you learn new things, you're reinforcing your neural network. You're creating redundancy in the connections so you can remember something better in the future by having a new pathway there because you learned it in a new light today. So synaptic reserve is very important. So by learning new things right now in your, pod, on your show, in this video, you know, you're helping people out. Yeah, we're all we're all boosting our cognitive reserve thanks to you. And if we're putting them to sleep, we're still helping them. It doesn't doesn't even matter. So sleep is good for the uh, brain as well. Good, there you yeah. go. It's a win win. So, yeah. <laughs> and D D is diet. Okay, so diet Mediterranean diet was called the Dash diet, the Mind diet. All these are mainly meant at keeping your gut microbiome happy. So you've written about this, and I've written about this that. The bacteria in your gut, trillions of bacteria in your gut are your friends. They need to be happy and balanced. And if they are, they also fight inflammation in the brain. We even showed that by altering the microbiome of the gut of mice with Alzheimer's, we could lower amyloid in the brain. Mm. So there's this two-way street between brain and gut, this, this gut-brain axis. And the more you keep your gut bacteria happy, it, keeps, it helps with mood. It helps with brain health. It helps with inflammation. It helps with this amyloid debris that's building up in your brain. So the way you keep the bacteria happy is you feed them plants. They they like fiber. I mean, we evolved as vegetarians. We have grinders, not things that gnash. Our stomach pH is is for dealing with plants, not raw meat. You know, a tiger has has a completely acidic pH in their stomach, so they can eat raw meat after they tear it with their fangs, and that raw meat doesn't make them sick, right? The acid just kills everything in it. Um, and then they have a GI that's straight to, to you know... To the butt. Out, because you, you don't want meat 
to putrefy in a colon that wraps around like ours. So, you know, somewhere along the line, even though we evolved originally as vegetarians due to our biology, something went wrong at some point where we needed to eat meat to survive. And we're still getting through that phase of our evolution. So we still depend on meat, even though we, we didn't evolve that way. So the gut bacteria don't like meat. They like plants. They, they evolved to like seeds, nuts, vegetables, you know, fruits, all the things that get fiber. And so plant fiber is important. So a lot of people take probiotics, and that's great. But prebiotics, which are a plant, plant-based diet, is what the, those bacteria really like and how you keep them hmm. happy. And, you know, and, and there are, you, can buy one, you can buy probiotics with prebiotics in them. They're called symbiotics, S-Y-N, biotics. So that's one side of diet. The other side of diet is supplements, right? Now, supplements get really kind of sensitive because, frankly, most supplements out there for the brain are trash. Yeah. They're money-making, snake oil, trash. Sorry. And... What really gets me is these brain supplements where they say, with 20 different ingredients, <laughs> and the capsule is this big. And you're like, well, wait, you know, you need actually a capsule that big of just one of those ingredients for it to maybe do something. And you don't have enough of any of those 20 different ingredients to do a darn thing. So be careful with those. Right. Um, so what you need to look for, so what we do is we screen in my lab, and our little mini brain, besides drugs, we screen supplements and every natural product known to man. We just buy the libraries and screen them all at once. And um, some of the things that we find, I've actually gone to commercial um, entities. Like we found that nicotinamide riboside um, very actively induces neurogenesis. Remember I said exercise does in the brain? Mm -hmm. The birth of new neurons in the brain and the hippocampus? Nicotinamide riboside does that. That's fascinating. And we also know that if you're trying to protect neurons against neuroinflammation, so you want to increase um, the mitochondrial function. The mitochondria is the battery of the cell. And what oxidative stress does is it, is it reduces the battery. So if you want to up the battery, the battery needs more fuel. Well, the fuel for your cell battery, the mitochondria, is ATP. And ATP is a pathway that makes it, and that involves something called NAD, NAD+. And the way you get to NAD is nicotinamide riboside. So if you take nicotinamide riboside as a supplement, you get more NAD, and then that gives you more ATP, which is cellular fuel. And that helps protect the cells against this free radicals and oxidative stress. So um, nicotinamide riboside worked really well on our screens. And then we teamed up with Chromadex. Chromadex did hire me as a consultant, so they pay me. Um, now, not much, but they pay me. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, they do send me free uh, True Niagen. True Niagen is their brand of nicotine in my riboside. Um, but yeah, so that's, so what I, so like if, you know, something works, I'm, I'm not afraid to get commercially involved. I just make it transparent for conflict of interest and say, yeah, I'm a consultant for that company. And another, like another supplement that worked was this, uh, this woody vine from Peru, from the Amazonian rainforest called cat's claw. Because the thorn on this plant looks like a, like a claw of a cat. Hmm. And um, so I started a company with my friend Alan Snow in Seattle called Cognitive Clarity. And we sustainably mine organic cat's claw from Peru. And then 
sell that in capsules as Percepta, P-E-R-C-E-P-T-A, Percepta. And again, I'm a founder of that, one of the founders of that company. It's mainly Allen's company, but uh, I have to state that for conflict of interest purposes. So those are my two favorites would be True Niogen and Percepta. But, you know, in our screen, we found other things work well. Um, things like quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, fisetin, um, Ashwagandha, we found, helps get the amyloid out of the brain. Ashwagandha is a Ayurvedic, uh, another Ayurvedic bacopa. Monieri mm. worked really well. So as we find them, I just share them with family and friends. But I, and I share them with, you know, local professional sports teams because they get, they're getting banged in the head all day. And, you know, just, tr- but I tell everybody, look, check with your doc first before you take these. Like Percepta, the cat's claw, if you have super low blood pressure, you're not supposed to take it. If you're on a blood thinner. Interesting. Right. So that's all on the box. Yeah. I tell people, just remember, we have not done any clinical trials to show that any of these supplements prevent Alzheimer's or treat it. So we're not making any claims like that. And without clinical trials, all you can say is, look, these worked in the lab and lab models, whether it's Alzheimer's in a dish or a, a mouse, they're safe. So if you want to give them a shot, check with your doc and do so. But we don't want to oversell. You don't want to oversell anything. You don't want to oversell even lifestyle intervention. I mean, you know, there are people out there who say, my lifestyle protocol is guaranteed to reverse and end Alzheimer's. No. <laughs> if you do the clinical trials, it's a good idea to tell people to do it, but don't give them false promises. Amen. I'm with you a thousand percent. I know that my, my listeners really appreciate the transparency. I really appreciate the, the transparency. That's how I am. You know, when I talk about the products that I endorse and, and have commercial relationships with. And I also, it upsets me when you see people in the functional medicine community, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm a fan of functional medicine, mm-hmm. but, sure. but that, but they, there is language sometimes that I think pushes the boundaries of what we currently know to be true about about Alzheimer's disease and other conditions. But for me, you know, as you know, as my listeners know, um, I take very seriously like the claims that people make because I had a family member affected with dementia, affected by dementia. So um, you mentioned quercetin and fisetin, which are two compounds that I haven't really talked about on the show in the past in the context of brain health. But quercetin is very commonly found in food, right? Papers, onions, things like that. And fisetin strawberries are top. Strawberries, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, and strawberries also have high elegic acid. Hmm. So does pomegranate. And we found elegic acid is broken down by the bacteria in your gut into a compound that's very good for the brain for inflammation as well. So, you know, so like, you know, I actually started a new company with a, I didn't start it. I mean, I was asked to start with somebody else. Um, a company called Marvel Biome, like where we're using bacteria as little superheroes, like Marvel Comics, Marvel Biome. Love that. And it's, it's, we're screening every bacteria you find in human poop, hmm. which is all the bacteria of your gut, and asking which bacteria will protect against neuroinflammation or oxidative stress. So like when you eat yogurt and probiotics in your probiotic pill, you're only getting like just a handful of different probiotic bacteria. But there are thousands and thousands of strains of bacteria in your gut. And we don't, most of them, nobody even heard of. So my colleague, Gary Rovkin, who will win the Nobel Prize someday because he discovered microRNA, you know, the basis of epigenetics. Deepak and I wrote a whole book about it, Supergenes. He discovered it. And he, he spent eight years in his lab at Mass General 
isolating every bacterial strain that is from the gut. And then now, just like you screen drugs, we can screen each individual bacteria to see which one ameliorates oxidative stress and neuroinflammation. But the cool thing is when you find a bacteria that works, you can mutate its gene systematically to see which gene was responsible. And then that gene will tell you which protein or metabolite was responsible. And then you can treat with the metabolite that the bacteria teaches you. So you That's come up amazing. with some obscure bacteria from poop, and then you do the genetics of it, and then you find a gene responsible, then the gene tells you the metabolite, and next thing you know, you put that in a supplement. Or it might have to be a drug. Depends on what the, what the metabolite is. But, but so far, we've already found some from the natural product screens. We found some of these metabolites and supplements that do work. And so I'm not afraid to go out there and tell people, give it a shot, with the caveat that we haven't done any clinical trials yet. I, I should also say that at Mass General, I co-direct a center called the McCants Center for Brain Health, where our goal is to learn how to quantify brain health. So when you go to your doctor every year, you get a physical, you don't get a mental. Like Patrick Kennedy says, there's no checkup from the neck up. The doctor gets <laughs> from the chin up and they look in the holes in your head, in your ears, in your eyes, in your nose, in your mouth. They look at your brain. So we're trying to figure out whether it's blood-based biomarkers or digital technologies or imaging, how to quantify brain health on an annual basis. And by doing that, we can then start doing studies of lifestyle interventions and say, do they improve brain health? You don't wait for disease. You don't wait for the brain to degenerate to the point of dysfunction and try to re be reactive and turn it back. Yeah, we're going to help those patients, like I said earlier, by stopping neuroinflammation. But you find ways earlier in life, whether it's where you give the, the clinical trial that says, yes, we can take sleep out of Vogue magazine and put it into Science magazine. It does work. We did a clinical trial. Exercise does work. But to test how those work, it's too late to test them when you already have the disease. They have to be used preventatively. So if you're using preventatively in trials, you have to know what to look at to say, am I improving brain health? So our center is figuring out all the indicators of brain health. And one of the first things we are testing with those indicators is true niogen. Hmm. So we're doing a true niogen, two true niogen trials. Um, and again, because of my association with the company, I have to you know, put, put a firewall between me and the trials, which I do. But we have one trial um, on Alzheimer's disease. It's just starting. We already started recruiting patients. Will true niogen help Alzheimer's patients? Um, and then the other trial that's just going to start is on COVID. So People who have had COVID um, could be long haulers for neuro-COVID, where they get brain fog or even more severe symptoms in the brain due to the inflammation the viruses cause around the blood vessels of the brain. So we're tracking the neuro symptoms of after COVID infection, and then we're going to ask, can they be minimized or reduced by true niogen, nicotinamide riboside? And this is following up on a trial that was already done, you may know about, in Turkey where the results were just announced, uh, where they showed that true niogen uh, was able to uh, uh, help in patients with COVID in Turkey. And the reason why is Charlie Brenner, who discovered nicotinamide riboside, and it was not the other scientists from the other company making nicotinamide riboside, it was Charlie Bre Brenner. And he showed that when you get a COVID infection, your NAD plus levels plummet. Mm. And that's why you're fatigued. Because you need NAD plus for the cell fuel ATP. 
So the reason why they get this huge fatigue and they're immunosuppressed is the NAD levels plummet. Hmm. So I've actually, I take Truniagen now uh, at a double dose for now every day, just like I've doubled my vitamin D3 dose, right? Because vitamin D3 correlates with COVID severity. So I, I now doubled my D3 dose from 1,000 units, which is one capsule to two capsules. I increased my Truniagen to two capsules now. Because if I get COVID, I want my NAD plus NAD levels to be up and my D3 levels to be up. That's what I do personally. I'm not endorsing that. I'm not telling people to do it. Check with your doctor and any of this stuff. I'm just telling you personally what I'm doing right now. So I think that, you know, testing supplements in our, in our center, um, you know, we can we finally start to have the clinical trials on supplements, on sleep, on exercise, on stress relief, on meditation, where we can start making real, you know, strong claims to say, yes, this does work. You know, it's not just it might work, it could help reduce. That's where we have to get to clinical trials to make more adamant and, and confirm statements. Yeah, I've been taking uh, true niogen's nicotinamide riboside for the past month. And um, I've had, uh, I think, positive results from it. I've, I've felt, you know, like uh, pretty, pretty consistent energy levels. I've also been doing very intense workouts lately. I got into, I, you know, I, I learned something new over the past couple of months. I took up boxing and um, it's a very, very difficult workout, very oh, high intensity. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not sparring. Just to be okay. very, just to be clear, I, yeah. Check thy head. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, well, I, well, it takes it takes at least a month before you start feeling it. So you're probably for up to the month you probably didn't feel much, and then all of a sudden it starts to kick in. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep. To, I mean, they've thankfully, you know, I'm very great, grateful. They've they've sent me a, a nice supply of it, so I'll be taking it for the next for the next you know for the foreseeable couple of months. Um, well, I had to sign a consulting agreement to get my supply. I'm going to have to talk oh, to you. Oh, you did? <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a soft spot for, for, for Promodex because you might, I don't know if you noticed, but the CEO, Rob Freed, produced one of the greatest movies of all time. What movie? Rudy. Rudy? Rudy. I, I love that movie. movie. The football was... movie about Rudy at Notre Dame? Of course. That was Rob one of the... Freed, Rob Freed produced that. And he's the, now, he's, now he's the CEO of Promodex. That movie, along with Varsity Blues, those are the only two movies I've ever watched ever that made me actually for a second want to be an athlete. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But, that was a, but, the, but Rudy was an amazing movie. That was like one of those yeah. classic. Um, yeah. So great. Well, yeah. I think about Rob Freed, the CEO, is he hates all the BS, the snake oil crap. And he just, you know, he is all about honesty and truth in advertising and, you know, yeah. uh, same thing with the other company. I, you know, the one that I did with the cat's claw, the preceptor, you know, I make sure I work with CEOs who go out of their way to make sure that they never make any false claims or step over the line. You get, that's really important with the supplement business because there's so much crap out there. You see these ads on TV that make you want to just throw up, you know, whatever the claims are. I couldn't agree more. Well, I'll see if I can get you some free true niogen. I mean, I know you work at Harvard, but I... No, I have free true niogen. Okay, I, all right. I'm just saying that I had to sign my soul. I had to sign a consulting agreement to get true niogen. Oh, you got... Okay, because I was going to say, you know... You just, to, you just had to be max. I just had to be... That's it. <laughs> that's the... It's living the genius life, baby. Um well, we don't have that much time left. Uh, I, I loved having this conversation with you. Of course, should, should go without saying. And I also really appreciate you know, the caveats that you added about, you know, how some of these compounds haven't been studied clinically yet. But I think what they what what they do speak to is the is the, 
you know, well-established benefits of a, of a diverse diet that includes, you know, fruits and vegetables and, uh, you know, and yes. lots of colors. And I'm a big fan of, of, you know, grass fed beef and eggs and fish and things like that. I don't know where you, I mean, I know you don't, you're not, you're, you lean more. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much against beef, but that's okay. <laughs> you are. Okay. Okay. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I, I the thing is I mean, we could get into it, but I mean, like I, like I said earlier, we evolved as vegetarians. I think that, you know, beef without chemicals is better than beef with chemicals, but hmm. yeah, I, and you know, with fish, you got to be careful with the sea and the heavy metals in, in fish. But yes. yeah, but I, 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 I'm going to respect our evolution first and say that we evolved as vegetarians and uh, we, we took a, a little detour um, into the, into being carnivores. Um, but I do think that, it, you know, by next century, mid next century, hundred years from now, we're not going to be able to sustain eating meat on this planet because just there's too many people, too much deforestation, you know, it's just, it's not sustainable. So I think that we're on a track now where we're evolving back yeah. out of necessity to plants, plant-based diet. But even there with GMOs, I worry because, you know, a lot of the soy comes from GMO soy and it's completely draining the, the, the land of nutrients, draining the soil of nutrients, and that's not sustainable. So everything we do, we just screw it up. You know, even when we try to be vegetarians and, and grow plants, you know, we have to ruin it with GMO and, and, and uh, you know, and, and just, to, just to make more product faster, make more money. And then you, you end up the topsoil, the, the soil ends up being depleted of nutrients. So we got to get out of this greediness, you know, and start producing food in more responsible ways that are sustainable. And I think that this current set of humans on the planet are heading there, you know, toward next century. So that makes me optimistic. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's just okay. taking time. We're, make, yeah. we're making small steps, you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no question that the, the food industrial complex is unsustainable, whether we're talking about animal production, grain production. I mean, it's just like to partake in the modern food environment today, um, you're partaking in a complex web of industrial processes that are ravaging the earth, you know? And, and the processed food's bad for you. Of course. Um, even some of the processed vegetarian foods, they may, you may avoid meat and what that does to the planet, but you're still eating processed food in many cases. Oh. And, and the other thing is factory farming. Where do you think all these viruses are coming from? Mm. I mean, you know, wet markets and in, in, in Asia, you know, um, eating crazy things, you know, that interact with bats. I mean, bats, we <laughs> wouldn't normally find a bat. You see a bat fly, you don't normally eat a bat. <laughs> bat I mean, we're getting... By by in with factory farming, we're creating all these new viruses and pigs and 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 chickens that it's just gonna it's just gonna hit a peak. I mean, COVID is just the beginning of this. I think we're gonna have a big wake up call with these pan, with COVID this pandemic, or maybe it's gonna take the next pandemic to do it. But we're gonna see that factory farming and the way we're getting our food is killing us off. This planet finds a way to survive even if you have stupid humans doing factory farming and the next thing you know we're you know in a self-organizing way we produce viruses that start to hurt us and we got to smarten up yeah well we're totally in, in alignment there um before i get to the last question that gets asked to everybody on the show where can listeners connect with you online do you have social media accounts that they can I, I follow if they choose Twitter, to you know at, at rudy tanzi r-u-d-y-t-a-n-z-i 
Um, I don't have my own website. I don't think unless somebody set one up. What are your but, What are your books called? In case people want to go and pick those. Oh up? yes, so I wrote a trilogy with Deepak Chopra, the uh, Super Brain and Super Genes. Super Brain's about taking advantage of the neuroplasticity of your brain, how to use your brain, like a user's manual for the brain, how to maintain it, use it the best way. Super Genes, same thing for your genes, how to use what's called epigenetics to use your lifestyle and habits to program your genes to better serve you. And then the combination of Super Brain and Super Genes went into the third book in the trilogy, The Healing Self, where we talk about how to make the best use in your lifestyle to have your brain train you with habits have those habits train your gene expression programs to then you know automatically promote healing every day, reducing neuroinflammation, reducing body inflammation. So that's the healing self, the, the, the idea of wholeness, which is where the word health comes from, from the word whole, you know, uh, leading to uh, healing every day. So those are the three books uh, you asked. I don't usually try to promote them. Um, <laughs> but my, my first book ever was Decoding Darkness which sold the least because I didn't write it with Deepak. Um, but Decoding Darkness is about how we found the first Alzheimer genes and that whole journey and, and how we got to where we are now with Alzheimer's. But this was the beginning days of when we didn't even know if there were Alzheimer's genes. And it was my own story as a student, you know, kind of fighting this crazy battle to find those first Alzheimer's genes. And that was like a fun book. That was my first book, Decoding Darkness. Wow. Well, f you know, I know that I speak for anybody who's ever had a loved one with dementia that, uh, you know, your work is incredibly valuable and, um, and, you know, I appreciate you. I'm, I'm super proud to know you and to get to call you a colleague. Um, so keep up the great work, Dr. Tan. Thanks you too, man. Your books are great. You're, you're doing God's work, man. And so I hope you keep it up and, and, uh, Maybe we'll be backstage someday again after COVID eating a stale bagel at Dr. Oz. <laughs> I think that'll happen. Last <laughs> question that gets asked to everybody on the show, Dr. Tanzi, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? Well, I think to live a genius life, you have to be flexible, adaptive, and dynamic. You can't be set in your way. I think um, the brain's a very dynamic organ, it's constantly changing through neuroplasticity. Nothing stays the same in your brain and nothing should stay the same in your viewpoints. You can be committed to doing good things and your convictions can lie with loving and serving those around you. But beyond that, convictions and what else you do just make you rigid and old. And remember, the young plant is flexible. The, the young reed is flexible. The old reed is rigid. When the wind blows, that one breaks, the other one doesn't. So I think genius is staying open-minded and flexible and avoiding rigidity and, and always having the higher intention to love and serve. Because if you're, as, as corny as that sounds, if your intention is to love and serve, the universe will serve you. I fully believe that. And that's where genius comes out. Mm. Well, that was beautiful. I, got, I actually got goosebumps uh, just, just hearing you answer that question. So thank you. And I couldn't agree more. To all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to share this episode of the show. Highlight your favorite quote from Dr. Tanzi or I. Spread the message about what we're doing here and all of the uh, insights that Dr. Tanzi has shared with your loved ones. I know that they would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. Text me to know. Let me know what you thought about this episode of the show. You can do that by texting uh, the word genius to 310-299-9401. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Peace, guys. Peace.